data is the cornerstone for all success for all digital marketing and especially ABM campaigns. You need to have the right data in order to segment it and create customer personas and different kinds of segmentation strategies. You need to have test and learn strategies implemented as well and be quite vigorous about that. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenau. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B MX Podcast. We are coming at you live from the B2B Marketing Exchange in Scottsdale, Arizona, and we're right in the middle of the marketplace watching all of the magic happen. We've been having such a great show so far, and I couldn't be happier to see our blood, sweat, and tears come to fruition. So with that, we're here with Kyle Mai, SVP and Chief Innovation Officer for Esquire Bank. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you share a little bit more about your background and your journey to Esquire Bank's Chief Innovation Officer? Thank you very much for having me, Claudia. I, uh, I'm really honored to be here, so thank you. It's a great show and great exhibition. So where I started from was I was an original MarTech person back in the days before MarTech was even a word in the early 2000s. <laughs> you know? So I used to be the guy in the dark corners of the room running SQL queries and base SAS queries for the marketing team. Back then it was called database marketing, right? Wow. Yeah. So I was in charge of all the data, all the reporting and all that kind of stuff. And throughout my career, as the MarTech kind of space started to evolve, I specialized in CRM implementations and marketing automation implementations and pretty much any technology that's geared towards sales and marketing teams and processes. So that was pretty much 20 years of my career. And then today I work for Esquire Bank as the Chief Innovation Officer. And it's quite a varied role, actually. So. I look after all of the revenue generating technology for Esquire Bank, so CRM systems, digital marketing platforms, websites, online properties and all that kind of stuff. But I also have a dual-headed role, so I look after the marketing function as well, kind of as their CMO and I was asked to build a marketing department from scratch and to use the technology that was built for the marketing department to deploy marketing campaigns. So I actually have revenue generating responsibilities and a marketing campaign budget, which is quite fun as well. Awesome. Very solid resume there. Lots to do. Always keeping you busy, I'm sure. So I want to talk a little bit about ABM because I'll get to it later, but you will talk about a little bit about ABM because you guys recently won a killer content award in the ABM category. So, and to be honest, I don't always, you know, the first thing doesn't really come to mind when I think of a bank and envisioning an ABM strategy for a bank. So what made you guys get into an ABM strategy or an ABM kind of solution? Yeah, thanks, Claudia. So the best way for me to answer that is maybe explain a little bit about the bank because we're definitely mm. not a traditional bank. We consider ourselves a disruptor. So we are a bank specifically for law firms and the payment processing industry. So we're a straight up B2B bank. We don't do anything consumer, no mortgages, no mm. insurance products, all of that kind of stuff. We are a one-stop shop for a law firm if they're looking to grow. 
and they need banking products around the lending space or depository products. So with that said, given that we are a B2B kind of scenario and our target audience is hyper-niche and hyper-focused within a particular industry, adopting an ABM strategy made a lot of sense, especially given that the value of our lending facilities is super high. You know, the average loan size, 3 million plus very easily. Yeah, so we're talking about kind of like whale hunting to a very difficult target audience to get to (laughs) because lawyers... You know, they're not very receptive to marketing (laughs) communication sometimes, right? Especially if they feel like they're being sold something. So the first part of that was it makes a lot of sense as a B2B bank to move towards ABM. And the second part really was we've invested heavily in technology at the bank and we had the confidence that we had the right data, we had the right systems and processes to execute and measure our ABM campaigns effectively. So we kind of went through this natural progression of executing normal marketing campaigns that you know everyone does to then hyper-focusing on ABM campaigns as one of the levers that we pull within the marketing department to generate revenue. Interesting. And you also be speaking at the event and you're going to touch on a little bit of like hyper-personalization and, and some content and stuff like that. So can you tell me a little bit about how you really worked to innovate within all of these ABM strategies? Sure. You know, the, the interesting topic of hyper-personalization is actually a decade ago, I was working on a personalization project. It was Mm -hmm. called personalization back then. You'll probably remember, (laughs) right? And then someone made it cool by adding the word hyper in front of it. (laughs) So I was working on a personalization project for British Airways a decade ago. And back then it was all new. It was, oh my God, what's this personalization thing? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the e-commerce players and B2C players really caught on to that. But one decade on, B2B haven't really caught on to the power and benefits of hyper-personalization. And that's mostly because B2B are still struggling with data. Mm. B2B are still struggling with organizing their content in ways that can be used for hyper-personalization strategies. In a B2C space, they have product hierarchies, they've got SKU numbers, they've got pictures of lipstick in 10 different Mm -hmm. ways and they use those let's just call them content assets to hyper personalize their offers but in a b2b space given that i came from that background and that experience and i saw the results of a hyper personalization project for an airline which simply put was 6x the control group after six months sorry 5x i mean and then 10x after a year And the basic premise there was, let's give people more of what they want, right? Right. And in the B2B space, it might not be the next best product offer, but it's the next best article, next best piece of content. So that meant that I knew that the CRM system and digital marketing platforms that were built for the bank were tailored towards hyper-personalization from a data and from a systems perspective. So we layered in hyper-personalization strategies to a classical ABM type campaign. And that's been really great. Awesome. Clearly very great because you guys won a killer content award at the show this year for the ABM category. So how does it feel to be 
the first bank to win an ABM category at our Killer Content Awards. It feels excellent. We're so proud at the agency Parker Battery and we're so proud within our organization as well. There's been so many people that have put so much effort into it across so many different functions from data to systems to content. You know, we're so honored by this award. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, I'm going to fill the audience in a little bit about the award. So if you're not in the loop, Esquire Bank partnered with Park and Battery. And Michael Ruby is also a speaker at this year's show. He's with Park and Battery. And the two companies created a customer-centric tech stack with a Salesforce CRM and Salesforce Marketing Cloud at the core. The team also developed content to fulfill every customer persona at every stage of the buyer journey. And within two years of implementing Salesforce and value-based content, Esquire Bank generated more than 50% of law firm lending clients from digital marketing initiatives. And when marketing passes leads to sales from a single content engagement, it is eight times more effective than a cold call. And then when marketing generates a contact us lead via multiple content engagements, it is 46 times more effective than a cold call. So can you tell, just elaborate a little more, can you tell our listeners more about like the winning campaign, how it kind of came to fruition, how you guys started working with Park and Battery and maybe dive into the results a little bit? Sure. So some of those stats that you were quoting there, 8x, 46x, Mm -hmm. better than a cold call, they actually came straight from our CRM system and analytics team. And when I presented those stats to the senior executive team, our minds just exploded because we thought, okay, why are we hiring salespeople (laughs) to make cold calls when you're getting a 1% response rate, right? How about we funnel some of those budgetary resources towards the marketing department where we knew we could cut the fat, you know, where we knew that if we were going to adopt hyper-personalized messaging and strategies, we were going to get much better results and we could reach so many more people. And given that we have a very finite target audience and we know exactly who we want to talk to through acquisition of data from some of the data vendors that are out there, It just made perfect sense that we could not only track our engagement levels, but we could effectively track how we're doing against our total addressable market. So those stats that we saw were the foundations that gave us the confidence Mm. to go not only all in on hyper-personalization, but look at ways in which we could expand into some of our key target accounts, which is why ABM came into play here. So... Park and Battery is our agency of reference and we showed them a lot of these stats and they're helping us with a lot of the content that we're creating. And we said, you know what, we've got the technology, we've got the data, we have the will, I have the campaign budget, let's do something fun and interesting that our target audience loves. So I remember we were kind of sitting in a room and in particular, our target audience within the legal industry is not just lawyers, but more specifically what we call contingency fee lawyers. So the type of lawyers that you see on billboards, no win, no fee, you know, call mm-hmm. 1-800 slip and fall <laughs> if something happens to you. So those are actually the lawyers we specifically target. So those no win, no fee type law firms. And what we thought was that if you're a lawyer and you're a no-win-no-fee lawyer and you know that all your buddies and all your competitors 
are looking at their billboards as they're driving and thinking, oh gosh, Joe Bloggs just has a new billboard here. He must be mm. upping his marketing spend. Mm. So what we did working with the agencies, we looked at the digital billboard locations. We mapped them all onto a tool that we have attached to Salesforce that allows us to map the locations of the billboards against leads that we have in our database. That tool is called GeoPoint. So we could literally see on a map whether or not a lead has a digital screen, not only near their work, but also in their office, you know, as they're going up in elevators. And we thought that, that'd be pretty cool being able to have our prospects see an ad while they're in an elevator. And then we decided to take a step further, actually. The agency came up with a brilliant idea of deploying mobile trucks. So we're actually parking some of these mobile trucks in front of courthouses because we know that these lawyers are, are going to trial. We're parking these mobile trucks in front of their offices. They can't escape some of the digital advertising that we've got. And as part of our ABM strategy, and the agency calls it a surround sound mm -hmm. because we're only deploying this ABM campaign on a city by city basis because we don't want to flood our sales teams with too much activity, too many follow-ups to do. We're deploying them on a city by city basis. And when we do deploy it to a city, we're surround sounding that city with things like Hulu advertising, OTT kind of advertising. Yes, that's a that hot topic right now in B2B. Absolutely. Because yeah. you can hyper-target the people that subscribe to some of those services. So not only do we have those really awesome innovative things happening from outdoor digital to OTT streaming to Spotify advertising, we also have this super slick high impact mailer that we're sending out as part of the B2B campaign and a customized event that we invite some of these lawyers to go to as well. So it's this beautiful cacophony and strategy that incorporates omni-channel marketing, yeah. hyper-focused towards a particular city. And yeah, the results are great. Awesome, awesome. So for those almost starting out, you know, and wanting to kind of transform their basic targeted marketing to a more hyper-personalized marketing strategy with technology, what kind of advice would, would you provide them? So I give this in my presentation. In order to move to hyper-personalization, there are basically four key components you have to have, regardless of what hyper-personalization project you've got. And I learned this a decade ago with British Airways. The first key component that you need to have is that basically a customer-centric culture. You need to care about knowing who your customers are. Customer success needs to be your North Star. And when that starts from the top, it helps significantly around your data acquisition strategies. It helps significantly with hiring people from the industry into your organization so that they can help you build content that's relevant for your target audience. So the first one is being customer centric. The second one is data. Data is the cornerstone for all success, for all digital marketing and especially ABM campaigns. You need to have the right data in order to segment it and create customer personas and different kinds of segmentation strategies. You need to have test and learn strategies implemented as well and be quite vigorous about that. Because if you approach your data from the perspective of something's not right with it and you need to continually check it, all that's going to do is it's going to continually force you to check and improve your data. 
And customer data is something of an investment that you invest today and you keep investing in it, but it's the gift that keeps on giving. So the other component to that really is content. You know, you don't have hyper-personalization if you don't have content. In the B2C world, they're lucky because you've got product lists and SKUs and they've got lots of content. Mm -hmm. In the B2B world, you're effectively talking about articles, white papers, videos, and all that kind of stuff. So atomizing your content and having lots of different pieces of content is really critical, as well as organizing it. You know, mm -hmm. I know lots of B2B marketers out there that have lots of content, but it's not really organized in a way that... Right, and it's hard for the you know person looking for it to find, right? Correct. And here's the thing. If it's hard for a person to look for it and to find, it's impossible for a system to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's effectively what you're trying to do when you're adopting a B2B hyper-personalization strategy. You're trying to get a system to figure out which contact or person to send the right person and the right message at the right time. Interesting. The last component oh, you got one more, yes. was actually the hyper-personalization engine, okay. right? So a decade ago, we had to build everything from code, mm -hmm. you know, from <laughs> scratch. Large quantities of developers and business analysts and consultancies building hyper-personalization products. It's very different today. You know, yeah. there are hyper-personalization solutions and vendors around everywhere. We ourselves are a Salesforce shop and we've adopted the entire Salesforce marketing product suite. And everything these days that amazes me is drag and drop, mm -hmm. point and click. Back then it was code, you know, and it was painful to <laughs> yeah. change anything. But now with the technology that's readily available, it's just amazing what you can do and it's all business rules based. So the tech's here, the data's here, people just need to create content and really have a customer-centric culture towards their organization. Yeah, that's great and I couldn't agree more. All right, we're gonna pivot a little bit because a little birdie told us that you are also a stand-up comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I, I love to hear about B2B marketers' side hustles, So, and this one is extra cool. So tell me a little bit about that, and does it actually help you along in your in your marketing strategies and help you get creative? Yeah, so yeah, I do do stand-up comedy in New York. It's not really a side hustle yet, but it's something I'm very passionate about. Cool. You know, I grew up and uh, always had a natural flair for presenting on stage and friends thought I was really funny and they said, hey, why don't you try stand-up comedy? So why not? Let's give it a go. And the thing about stand-up comedy is that it is so applicable to so many things in life in terms of improving the way you communicate in very succinct ways. Because stand-up comics, you have to be sharp, short, succinct, not be too wordy, not mm. be too verbose in the words that you use. And you have to be able to communicate things in ways that everyone understands, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your age. So that actually helps and it percolates across many things in my life, mostly around presentations. I'm extremely comfortable giving presentations at conferences because there's nothing yeah. more scary <laughs> than doing stand-up comedy. I, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'll take a conference with a thousand people in the room over a 30-person stand-up comedy room any day. But yeah. Awesome. Very, very cool. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have for you. However, we kind of decided to do a little something fun for B2BMX this year. So for those obviously who aren't here and who can't see, we have this spinning wheel, almost kind of like a wheel of fortune a little bit. And each little 
pi is numbered. So Kyle, I'm going to ask you to spin the wheel and we'll see what kind of final question you're going to get today. This is fun. Yeah, Thank let's you, do Claudia. it. Here we go. Spinning it goes. All right. Looks like we have number 12. Okay. This is a good one. Ready? How are you navigating the current uncertain economic climate? I know everybody's talking about, you know, potential recession. Everybody's worried. There are some layoffs. What's going on through your, what's going on in your head about all of this and, and how are you kind of navigating it? That's a great question, actually. So as a bank who specializes in the legal industry, we're actually kind of quite bullish about the future. You know, a lot of people say and think that the legal industry is recession proof. Mm. Typically, you know, when recessions occur, contingency fee law firms, no win, no fee law firms typically grow because more people are looking to sue other people. So that could be quite opportunistic for the bank. But in addition to that, you know, what I'm quite confident about walking into, I guess, troubled economic times is hyper-personalization strategies are actually very cost efficient and they actually help, or what I've experienced, help us to move marketing budgets around in more efficient areas of spend. So let me give you an example. So we have a content hub that we created and all of our content is on called Lawyer IQ, which we're currently in the process of rebuilding with a whole bunch of hyper-personalization technology. And the thing about creating content is, let's just use a real world example. A year ago or a year and a half ago when we released the Content Hub, we obviously released the Content Hub with the best possible content that we had at the time. Now a year and a half on, as we've continually updated that Content Hub, well actually the content that was our best star of the show content that we released a year and a half ago is now sitting on page seven mm. of our Content Hub. Now, when you implement hyper-personalization technology and the content hub is figuring out what the best content to serve you as a person that's visiting it, they could actually surface a piece of content that lives on page seven onto the home page. Mm. So what it's actually doing is it helps me amortize the cost of content over a long period of time and content doesn't go dead because it basically gets used whenever that best person that should see the content reaches the content hub. So there are a lot of economies of scale or things, savings that you make when you adopt hyper-personalization strategies. And in addition to that, you know, I don't have to have teams and teams of marketing people looking after data. You mm -hmm. know, I have very specific functions doing different things that are highly efficient within my marketing teams, pretty much because we've just got teams that are building large quantities of content. We've got an engine that can figure out who to serve that content to. And you've got systems and data that are currently being maintained. So all of the clutter in between that a lot of marketing teams have to deal with, luckily we don't have to deal with that. That's great. But good for you guys. Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. It's exciting. All right, I lied. And I was going to say this was going to be our final question, but I'm just dying to know, who's your favorite comedian <laughs> as a comedian? It's got to be Jim Jeffries. You awesome. Know? I, I love Jim Jeffries. <laughs> we have our awesome. podcast uh, producer here too, and he's like, yeah. I love it. Awesome. All right, well, that's all the questions we have for you today, Kyle. Thank you so much for being here and speaking at the event and, and just being a part of our show. It's 
so great to have you here. I'm honored. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. All right, everyone. That is a wrap on today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for more from the B2B MX show floor. And if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe to our channel. We're available on any podcast player of your choice. And as always, reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn. Share your feedback. Tell us who else you want to hear from and all that fun stuff. So with that, that's a wrap for us. Thank you all for listening again, and we will catch you next week.